Hello, friend. Welcome if you're new here. My name is Colleen Blum, and if you didn't tune in to last week, we're now dropping a new episode on the Try and Stop Me podcast every single Monday from here on out. Every other Monday, we'll have some incredible souls on the show from entrepreneurs, business owners, movers, and shakers telling us all about their incredible journeys and the valuable life-changing lessons they've learned along the way. On the off Mondays, it'll just be me and you hanging out for quick episodes about something I've learned in the week from the past, the future, who the heck knows where the topics will go. Now, let's talk about today. I read a study that said 61.2 million American adults are affected by a mental disorder. 15.7 million Americans struggle with depression. Bipolar disorder affects 6.1 million people. 9.6 million have ADHD. 2.6 million live with schizophrenia. There's OCD, anxiety, eating disorders, PTSD, I mean, the list goes on and on. And that is just America and who really knows how true those numbers or factual those numbers actually are. So it has me thinking, if so many people are struggling every single day with what goes on inside of our minds, then it makes me ask, why is there such a stigma still around mental health in 2020? Now, today is a special episode as we come off of Mental Health Awareness Week here in October. This topic is near and dear to my heart, as I'm sure many of you listening along love or know someone who has a mental illness in some sort of capacity. Well, today, we're going to talk about just that with our incredible guest, Mike Vini. Mike has struggled with a mental illness throughout his entire life. Growing up, he was expelled from three different schools. At the young age of just 10 years old, he attempted suicide, and he's been in and out of psychiatric hospitals for extensive periods of times throughout his life. Although he's still struggles to this day, it's not all dark for Mike. And that's what I love about his story. Mike's going to tell us about the story of how his mother helped him find his passion, which helped him get through those dark days and eventually led him to where he is today as one of the world's leading mental health keynote speakers talking to major corporations and individuals all about the stigma behind mental health. He's also the author of the book Transforming Stigma. Mike's on a mission now more than ever with COVID to get rid of the stigma around mental health so that we can all get more comfortable in talking about what is going on inside of us or what's going on inside of our loved ones. Let's dive right in. My story started with me struggling with mental health as a kid. I had a lot of behavior problems and a lot of times mental health issues manifest as behavior problems in people. And, you know, I always say that when we use the term mental health, we're talking about three things, thoughts, feelings, and behavior. If one of those is having a challenge, you've got a mental health challenge. Interesting thing is you can't see someone's thoughts. We like to think we can perceive feelings, but we can absolutely observe someone's behavior. And for me, it started with behavior. And, you know, speaking of Long Island, I was uh, in Catholic school in fourth grade in Mineola, New York, and I got expelled from school. And I actually ended up getting expelled from three schools uh, by the time I finished high school, hospitalized in a mental hospital three times for extended periods. And I attempted to die by suicide at age 10. So I am very familiar with the pain people go through and just So we're clear, I struggle with depression, anxiety, and OCD, and I'm very comfortable talking about it. I I actually have gained such a comfort in it that it's, you know, I can talk about it with anyone. It's, It's a great topic to explore because ultimately one of the reasons I'm here on your show is because I want to teach people that mental health is all about self-discovery. And I love that your little hustle thing is in the background right there because 
when it comes to success, we associate mental health challenges with weakness. And it's one of the reasons we don't talk about it. So when we can reframe that in our brains, it will actually help people get the help that they need. And one of the things that I remind people is that mental health is about self-discovery. And when you address something that you're struggling with mentally, you will actually improve your income. You'll improve your results in the workplace. So it's a win for everyone involved when you address these challenges. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. Thank you for sharing that. When you were younger, what kind of signs were there? Because 10 years old, that's very young to be feeling those dark feelings. But I think there's so many children out there that do feel those feelings and the parents don't know how to look at it or, or not to say acknowledge, they don't know how to see the signs of something that deep. So what kind of emotions or challenges as a child were popping up by 10 that caused that suicide attempt? Oh my, so much to answer here. I answer it in two ways here. Mental health challenges are confusing and frustrating. And so are emotions. It's not something you can put in a box. And I share a story sometimes in my presentations where years ago, I was at the gym working out, doing a push-up routine where I put my hand in different positions. I ended up hurting my wrist. And um, I was trying to impress some girl <laughs> in the gym. And, and I knew right away it was a sprain, strain, or broken wrist. I quickly got mm -hmm. myself out of there, went home, iced it. If it didn't get better in two days, call a doctor. It's simple. Mental health challenges just don't work like that. And a lot of times you don't even realize that you're depressed. You don't even realize that you're anxious. A lot of times anxiety manifests as anger. So for me, I was just what we call feeling the feels and didn't realize that, you know, it was something. Um, my parents, I love them dearly, but my mom who passed away a few years ago, my dad's still alive. They didn't have the skills to sense that with me, the, the social skills. And so a lot of times when a, a child is struggling, one of the reasons that they don't get the help that they need is maybe the parent doesn't have the skills to pick up certain things. And to parents listening, it doesn't mean you're a bad parent. It's just a set of skills that we all you know, need to learn sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the reasons that nothing was uh, picked up. But looking back, my behavior problems, constant outbursts, getting frustrated constantly, and overly angry for very long periods of time, that was a sign that something was wrong. And, and my parents right away started getting me help. I remember going to a psychologist in first grade. So clearly something in my behavior was uh, yeah. you know, getting their attention. And, and the thing is, one thing I remind people is if anyone in your life is behaving in a way that you think is odd, that's a sign to just start having that conversation right there. Doesn't matter what it is. And we all have that friend that's kind of quirky sometimes, right? But still, if something is odd in someone's behavior to you, it's really important to address it. Yeah. So at 10 years old, you had that and then you continued to get more help. Changing schools, how was that on you? Oh, you know, I changed so many schools. It was, it was hard. It was hard to make friends. It was hard to connect with people. Even now that's difficult for me. And I knew something was wrong with me. You know, they all, they gave me the talk. They said, you know, everyone goes to mental health stuff, but no, I mean, I knew something was wrong with me because, you know, here I am in fourth grade getting put in a mental hospital. I had a problem with authority. So I would just snap at teachers and starting in fourth grade, I would just punch teachers. I wouldn't even yell back. I was just like, don't you yell at me. Like I really had a problem with authority. It's one of the reasons I run my own business now, by the way. Uh, so... <laughs> One of the reasons I'm self-employed, but and, and, and for the record, I don't punch people anymore. But the thing is, I would just, you know, respond with these angry outbursts and it made it hard to make friends. It made it hard to feel included. And so that 
really weighed on me. And I actually believe it complicated some of my mental health challenges. But at the end of the day, I felt depression so deeply that it was physical pain. And so when someone says they're depressed, I just want to make this very clear. It doesn't mean they're sad and sitting there crying. A lot of times depression is unique to the person, but basically it's a low, whatever a low is for you, that makes it difficult to function. And Mm -hmm. for me, I was in physical pain from my depression because it was so bad. And I the reason I attempted to die by suicide is I just wanted the pain to go away. And so one of the things that a lot of us struggle with, especially now in COVID-19, is we just want the emotional suffering to go away. And that's why people end up resorting to things like alcohol and substances because they just want the pain to go away. So that's, you know, that was the effect on me then. And it really made it hard to connect with people and get my work done. Yeah. I mean, like we just touched on right before we started, my sister has bipolar. So it's something that's in the family. Like I was saying before, my family has always spoken about this. It's never been a quiet hush hush thing. I even, you know, called her up yesterday. I said, do you mind? This is going to be the topic. Do you mind if I, she was like, I don't care because that's how open we are in understanding. This is something that part of her, it's part of our lives. It's part of our story. It's part of her past and her struggles and her future and her success. It makes you who you are. So the stigma of the challenges, even as a child that you go through, of not understanding or going through those deep, dark, painful depressions, as a child to do that and then to probably have the stigma behind other children knowing that you tried that, that had to be so challenging. So when you started to get a little bit older and you're starting to go through therapy, did they diagnose you a certain sense? I was diagnosed with so many things. We, mm. we don't even have enough time for yeah. that. But I I, um, I was put on medication. And just for the record, I'm on medication now. And um, you know, I want to say something about that because a lot of times people, there's a lot of conversations about we're, we're an overly medicated society. And you know what happens with mental health is people just get prescriptions. And that's not completely true. You know, everyone has a different situation. For some people, medication helps smooth out the sidewalk, as we like to say. So the dips aren't as deep like some of the New York City potholes I drive through. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where medication helped me. But back then, I was on about seven different medications. And the thing that actually turned my life around, I'll never forget it. It was um, end of 10th grade. I had been expelled from three schools at that point. And I I thought I was going to get to quit school. Like I had the ultimate dream that all of us kids have. I was going to get to quit school. (laughs) And, um, you know, that summer, my mom approached me and she said, what would make you happy? And I thought this was a trick question because moms like to pull tricks like that. And um, I told her the truth. The only thing that would make me happy is playing the drums. Play drums starting in fifth grade. And it was actually the only thing that made me feel better. It's just sitting there rocking out to Red Hot Chili Peppers and L.O. Cool J. And so, you know, my, my mom said, okay. She smiled and said, let me see what I can do. And I said, well, what's happening here? And she, she didn't say anything. And for a week, she was making phone calls, talking about me. I heard her having conversations. And she eventually found the Long Island High School for the Arts, a performing arts high school in Syosset, New York, that was willing to accept me despite my record. And it changed my life forever because getting to play drums was better than any medication they were giving me. And what was really interesting is when I started at that school, interesting thing happened. My behavior problems pretty much disappeared. Wow. Uh, with the help of my psychiatrist, my medication went down to nothing. No more self-harming, acting out at home, and I had friends. And what was really 
powerful about that is it taught me that sometimes we need to find that one thing that's going to center us and ground us. And it's different for everyone. There's no formula to discovering it. But drumming did that for me. And that's why I still play drums to this day. Oh, that's such a beautiful story. And your mom, what a strong woman to really say, what is going to make you happy? That is the support that so many are lacking behind understanding there's a there's a sadness and a deepness here, but we need to find an outlet to bring some joy back to you. And she was able to do that. That's so special. I'm so happy for you that you found that outlet. And isn't it, I think there's something so beautiful. So when there's mental health, it's that chemical balance. There's an imbalance there. It's not this person is choosing to want to stay sad or choosing to stay angry. They physically just can't, they can't do it. They can't get out of it. So sometimes medication in some senses, whatever you end up getting diagnosed with, medication can help you short term. If it's just depression during an issue or during a circumstance in life, or if it is a true chemical imbalance of bipolar or something that is truly genetic in there or whatever the medical terminology is, I'm no doctor, but natural or medication, both can work. So it's something of finding somebody to talk to, finding an outlet to let that out in and the drums for you and then surrounding yourself probably with artistic type of people really helped you. That's so amazing. That was high school, right? What made you then something clicked in your head and you were like, this is my calling to help others and talk about this because I can't work for anybody else. (laughs) Well, my career actually started with, I realized in senior year of high school that drumming needed to be my career because it was my medication. And and as my younger brother was talking to my parents about law school, I go to to my parents, I go, mommy and daddy, I want to be a drummer. And their heads just went down like this. But what was really interesting was my first semester of college, I, you know, usually at the end of first semester, everyone wants to go out and party and have fun. I couldn't go out with my friends and have fun because starting at age 18, I was being flown around the country, being paid thousands of dollars to play drums. The career actually worked and I did a lot of corporate work, you know, several different albums and things like that. So drumming was my career. I didn't, you know, have any idea of thinking about mental health. In fact, I thought my mental health challenges were gone because I found this thing that would center me. And it wasn't until I had several breakdowns in 2011 that I realized my challenges never went away. Uh, They were just buried for a while and they were going to be with me forever. And I actually, um, 2011, I had such a severe breakdown that um, I had to stop drumming for a while, um, which was really hard to, you know, stop my career. And I ended up calling a woman that I knew named Cheryl. And Cheryl worked in mental health. So I, I said, Cheryl, this is Mike. Um, I, I'm, I'm really struggling. I'm in a bad place. I'm suicidal. The police constantly coming over because I was disappearing for days. I was that person on the street. Yeah, yeah. And, and Cheryl, her, her response to me was, Mike, what's up? How are you doing? And I said, Cheryl, this is not that type of call. I can't even imitate how sad I was, yeah. you know, right now. But finally she said, you know, can I hire you to be a speaker at my mental health event? I said, no, I don't want to speak to those people. That's what I actually said to her. And she just kind of kept pushing it. And finally, I agreed. And I said, I'll speak at this stupid mental health event. And I went to go speak at it. And I got a standing ovation. And within a year, I was traveling around the country speaking about mental health. And I had this talk with myself. You'll appreciate this being from Long Island on Sunrise Highway. Uh, I, was, I was driving in Sunrise traffic. Highway. <laughs> the traffic in the rain. And, and, and I, um, I basically realized that, you know, drumming is my thing. Yeah. But the world might need something bigger, whether I want to do it or not. 
And maybe one of the gifts I've been blessed with is these mental health challenges. And maybe hearing from me will help others. So I, I had an opportunity right there. I can go, well, this is not the cool thing I want to do. Or I could surrender to it. And I surrendered to it and said, you know what? We're not like super excited about this, but we're going to try to help people. And fast forward to today, I own my own company now. I've got a book out. I speak all the time to different companies about mental health on the news. And I just really enjoy being able to put some things into simple words that are very complex for people and let people know that it's okay to struggle. And it's actually a beautiful opportunity to learn about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I think without struggle, there's no growth. There's, there's no growth and you're just staying still. So you used probably the darkest days to then create something that heals somebody else. That's the ultimate goal in life, you know, because yeah. your gift, whether it is music or your words, help people, whether it's making them dance or making them feel like I'm not alone. Those yeah. two are just phenomenal things to carry. And we need people like you every single day, especially now more than ever. So when you go into these companies or when you do get on the stage for the conferences, what are some kind of three points that you point out? Because you probably, I'm sure, especially with like conferences, I'm sure there's a ton of males in there. And I feel like males more or less... Females are kind of more open to talking. We talk about everything mostly, right? Some of us keep it in, but I think males really shut down. They don't want to talk about it. And they, they think there's something wrong with admitting they're sad or in a depression or having something going on. So how do you combat that when you're on stage in front of all of these people who are like, I don't want to hear about this? Well, you know, <laughs> that's a great, it's a great question. It's surprisingly a welcome topic in the workplace. Wow. And this year, especially, you know, people call me up. It's not like how much are your fees? It's like, oh my God, we need you like now. Yeah, <laughs> you know? you're right with that. Absolutely. So the thing is when it comes to men, and, and I love that you brought this up years ago in therapy, my therapist <laughs> suggested something. I was complaining about some work relationships, just you know, constant drama with some people. She said, um, maybe you might have a masculinity issue and feel emasculated and have a problem with women and have power issues with women. I said to her, what are you talking about? I have all these female friends and like, what, what are you talking about? And yeah. I was actually angry at her for bringing that up. And I, I thought about it, you know, weeks later. And I think I was angry because it was coming from a woman. And maybe she was right. Mm. And I had to sit and explore some real deep, subtle power issues that were coming up. And I actually ended up calling up all my female friends apologizing. And they were like, Mike, what are you talking about? But still, <laughs> I, I realized that there were certain things going on in my mind that were about masculinity. And I bring this up because it really started me on a journey around masculinity and power issues with women and learning to embrace my feelings as part of being a man. And as I've grown in terms of exploring my depression, talking about my emotions, being sad, being willing to cry in front of you if I start crying right now. It's totally cool. <laughs> I've learned that it's actually made me more secure as a man. It's actually improved my you know, sense of, of self. And that's something that I think men are slowly starting to see. Because one of the things that I bring up with men is anger is something that comes out with men a lot. We think of men. It doesn't mean women don't get angry, but men are, 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 I think, a little more known for that. And one of the things I've learned is that a lot of times anger in a man is depression in disguise. And because we don't have the ability to sometimes get in touch with our feelings. But when it comes to working in companies and talking about this, you know, I, I speak about it very directly, very honestly, no different than how I am now. And you'd be surprised to just bringing it up and just bringing it to light and talking about those things we don't like to talk about opens people up. 
and, 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 and makes it safe. Usually one of the best things I love about presentations is um, go to a company, speak at a big event, then the CEO on the way out, CEO's like, hey, Mike, can I talk to you? <laughs> <laughs> what's what's up and it's like you know they tell me about i've been in the mental hospital too i've never told anyone you know and, and all this stuff so it, it's totally totally normal and i think people are starting to realize that in the workplace one of the things that's coming up is you know performance issues especially this year with covid19 and everyone is struggling so i generally talk about uh finding peace in times of uncertainty that's been my big topic this year yeah. and transforming stigma in the workplace how's that second one transforming stigma in the workplace. You that know, one has to be difficult <laughs> with big companies. I could just, you know, yes and no. Um, some of them are super invested in mental health. In fact, one financial company that I worked with has a therapist on staff in each office. Wow. So That's yeah, something like, you only see on like billions. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, so the thing is, people are slowly starting to realize that when you address mental health in the workplace, you address productivity, team performance, and profits. It yeah. actually affects the bottom line and there's studies to back this up. So I think companies are slowly starting to see that. And also right now, many supervisors are reaching out to me because they supervise their team and realize that their team is struggling with mental health challenges across the board. They want tools. So this is slowly but surely becoming a more popular topic in the workplace. So crucial. I mean, I see it too when, when we're talking about now with like health insurance with companies, a big question that they're coming up with is that employee assistance program where they do have access to those counselors. And right now, I mean, we have never been, you could bring that up until you were blue in the face in the past. Now the question is, where is this and how quickly can we get it in place? Because everybody is realizing when you are home and isolated or whatever the case is, not able to do the running around that Americans are so used to putting their emotions to the side, hitting the ground running and forgetting and just pushing everything down because they're so busy that they don't have time to think or even touch on those emotions. Now, what we're seeing is in 2020, you know, everybody has to deal with what's going on in their head. And it's something that people are really, really struggling with. So I think you are about to get busier than you ever have been. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in the past few weeks, <laughs> you're absolutely right. I've been getting a lot of... Yeah, because and I think it's it might have been what we all needed to make the shift of saying asking for help doesn't make you a less of a person or less strong or less manly or less I don't know, independent as a female, asking for help is just simply elevating to the next level of yourself. It could just be as simple as that. So for you and what you guys are doing, what is your next step and planning for the future of, I mean, I'm sure things are changing, right? Of not knowing where to take this and what's going next, but I think you have some <laughs> things cooking up. So what do you have cooking up for us in the future? Oh, what do I have cooking up? So actually, I'm so glad you asked this just yesterday. I did some scenario planning and scenario planning if you you know you're a business owner i encourage i think everyone should just do it in life and what it is is uh, taking facts that are out there political environmental and looking at your own business or career and putting out scenarios of things that could happen and action plans to put in place so basically
basically with the upcoming election, with the news about violence and protests, with the idea that COVID-19 could come back in the next month or so more intensely than it was in the spring. I started putting some plans in place to be able to be there to help people who are going to need help around mental health. But basically, I have some online courses coming out. And that's been a really cool thing because I'm in the process of getting my company accredited internationally for continuing education and giving people the opportunity to study with me on their phone and learn some different things about mental health in the workplace, diversity, and inclusion. And I'm excited to bring my story and things that I've learned and also things that are out there in terms of facts and studies that people should know about and give them tools that they can start using. I'm big on practical tools. I think there's a lot of like nonsense out there. Yeah, there is. And and, an example of that, and I just want to bring this up because this is a very important one. I see memes like every day about self-care. Self-care, self-care, self-care. And I want to say something about that to anyone who's listening or watching this on video in that I did an article called How to Practice Self-Care Without Being Selfish. And I quoted a study because that's what, if you want to sound smart, you quote a study in an article. (laughs) And so I I quoted the study on self-care and it said of people with chronic health conditions, only 5% practice self-care. Basically, it's statistically zero. It's a nonsense term everyone's throwing out, but most people aren't doing. And I actually outed an entire group of people, 1,500 people at a conference. I outed the entire group. It was a big self-care conference in Illinois, and I was their closing speaker. And they were telling me when I got there, they were super excited for me. I got there the day before my presentation, and I did something you should never do as a speaker. I lied to my audience. You should never do that as a speaker. I lied to them. I was on stage. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I did the Mike Vini self-care assessment on all of you and I've got the results. And they all start looking around, like shuffling through their papers, like what assessment did he do? Well, my assessment was very simple. That morning, just remember again, 1,500 people at a self-care conference. That morning before my presentation, I went to the hotel gym to work out. There were a total of three people in the room. Yeah. The night before at the bar, there were 300 When I said that, I mean, the look of shame on their face and embarrassment, but here's what I want to bring up for the people that are listening to this. There's a difference between self-care and escape activists, and it's very important to distinguish that. Sitting there and binge-watching Netflix is fine, but that's an escape activity. You know, having a glass of wine, that's fine, but that's an escape activity. But self-care is when you are intentional about doing things that nurture and grow you. Again, like this morning, I was at Robert Moses Beach meditating before our interview today because I needed to get myself in a grounded place. So I think it's really important, especially now as we navigate this year, for all of you to be intentional about your self-care. What would you recommend for somebody one thing that they could do per week? Not every day, one thing per week for self-care, do you think? You know, I want to go to meditation, but I want to give something even simpler because a lot of people think, why can't meditate? We are constantly on these mobile devices and I hear from people all the time, I'm stressed out by the news and social media. I I want to give you a big tip here. You don't have to pick up your phone. You could turn it off. (laughs) You you know, you put it on airplane mode. But the thing that I recommend is, especially with all that's going on in the world, is take time, even five minutes, just to be silent each day, just to be silent and still. It's something that's so grounding that can bring you back to a place of a calm mind when you're hearing about all these different things going on and all these stresses and all these people in your life having different challenges. And that's something I really recommend that we all do. In fact, if I could wave a magic wand on the world right now, I'd give everyone a timeout, a big old timeout. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? And like give the entire world an hour just to be still and quiet. I think it would change everything right now. I think you're so right. I feel like the world tried to give us a timeout and nobody wanted to listen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. We all got sent to our rooms. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And nobody listened. Everybody just put on Netflix. So no, but I think I think that's so important. It has to be something, whether it's the gym, if it is going to yoga, if it's just sit, like I say it all the time, sitting in the car, just rocking out by yourself and singing to something, just some kind of self-care, self-love, self-reflection for five minutes of pick up a journal, put a lock on it if you need it, back to the old diary days so nobody comes in the room and reads your deepest, darkest thoughts. But I think it's important, like you said, to self-reflect and get time back in with yourself. And I can't believe you were at a conference with that many people and nobody was at the gym. <laughs> well, well it, it goes to show, you know, you can put out all the memes in the world mm-hmm. online and put out hashtags, but you know what? It's really living this stuff. And one of the things I'm finding in leadership, actually, this is becoming a common topic in leadership events now, self-care for leaders. So I think it's an important thing for all of you listening. If you're all about success, you're all about achieving like I am, make self-care the foundation of that, you know? And and, and one thing, you know, I love your little hustle thing. And sometimes with, the, with that little hustle thing, it gets us in trouble because we think, you know, it's a badge of honor, right? To put the hustle hashtag on a social media update. And that's great. But part of that hustle is hustling for your own wellness. Mm-hmm. Just remember that. Yeah, absolutely. Mike, it was so special to talk with you today. Where can we all find you? You can find me on the internet <laughs> at, at www.mikevini.com. I have a newsletter, uh, Wellness Tips for Leaders, that you can check out. It comes out once a month. I have a YouTube channel and a podcast for self-employed people who struggle with mental health called MXV, Self-Employed Momentum. So check out any of those online. And if you ever have a question, just reach out to me. I love hearing from people. And in any way, if I can be of help to you, I would love to do so. Absolutely. I will put this all in the show notes so everybody can come find you because I think you are just a a special human being. And I'm so happy that we connected. Thank you friend. Thanks for being here today. I know if you've tuned in all the way to the end, this is a subject that is dear to you as well, like it is to me and my family. If you know anyone struggling or that needs help, please take Mike up on his offer and reach out to him. It's a difficult time for anyone without a mental illness. Just imagine how much more ignited this time is for all of those 61.2 million Americans that struggle with a mental disorder. Mental health is just as important as physical health. So it's time to start really talking about it. Follow us on the Try and Stop Me podcast Instagram page. And please let me know if I can help you or anyone out in any way. October 26th, our next guest will be Andy Neary. Andy's going to talk about his professional baseball career and how what he learned from those days plays such a major role in all aspects of his life today. But next week, that one is just you and I. So I will see you there.